Thank you so much for joining us. The conference is dead. Long live the conference, or at least that's the topic we're going to talk around. Conferences pre-COVID, post-COVID, where do we go from here? And uh, you know, there's nobody better than our guest today to talk about this. Ollie Flower and Roger Harris, uh, intensivists at the Royal North Shore in Sydney, but rather famous as the parents, the co-parents of both Smack and Coda. Now, Ollie and I both have a Nottingham, England connection, a, a place not famous for many things, but it, it's famous for uh, Brian Clough, the manager, and the many quotes. And one of his famous quotes was, uh, I may not be the best manager in the world, but I'm probably in the top one. And I think you could say the same about Smack, and you could say the same about Coda. Certainly, they created the most interest, the most debate, um, the most pressure to get tickets, the most excitement when people turned up. We actually felt like we were part of a cool club for a couple of years. There were huge supporters, there were a few distractors, and there was lots of chatter. So what better uh, group of people to chat about post-COVID conferences than my dear friends, Ollie and Roger. Thanks, guys. Hey, good to see you, Pete. Thanks for having us, Pete. Leon, take it away. Oh, boy. First of all, I'm completely outclassed on today's podcast. I honestly doesn't take a lot, but um, I, I do have to confess, I never actually made it to any of the SMAC conferences or CODA. Either way, um, SMAC is gone, CODA is gone. Um, let's talk about why Why was this necessary? Why was it necessary to sort of have a different approach to conferencing? And why is it gone? I might jump in there. I would say uh, when uh, back in the sort of uh, e end of the first decade of 2000, uh, Ollie and I were working together on a few projects. We were collaborating with uh, various uh, other groups around the world in, um, in podcasting, in uh, web-based uh, education. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of innovation happening in that space. Uh, we, were, we were working with Scott Weingart uh, in the US with uh, the likes of um, Simon Carley, St. Emlins, uh, the SGM, of course, from Canada. Um, and, and so we were, we were starting to collaborate together. And one of the things we all noticed was that we had more interaction uh, and there seemed to be almost more passion online than there was in our traditional medical conferences. We were going to our standard college meetings and they were fairly dried and state affairs. And, and, and naturally the conversation went to, well, why can't we bring some of that passion from uh, what we're seeing online into the conference space? And, and that's really how SMAC was born. You know, that was an acronym for social media and critical care. And it was because we'd been all brought together, I guess, by the the links of social media, um, which had united us. And, and yeah, that's how we landed at Smack. Ollie? Yeah, exactly. I think it was driven out of a desire by those of us involved at the beginning to really change the status quo. We found um, we weren't getting much stimulation or interest or education from uh, the events we went to. And, um found it like an exciting challenge to try to um, to change that um, and be a disruptive influence. And uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. Now, if I can jump in, I think you've changed conferences for the good and for the good. 
I don't think we'll go back to what I used to experience in whole when I was a trainee, which was, you know, there's far too much information on the following forest plot, but I'll show it anyway. The toothpaste is sort of out of the tube. Is that is that fair? I mean, I, 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 before we go any further, I, I'm remiss not to mention the redoubtable Chris Nixon, who's, mm. you know, the other parent that's missing here. But was it that deliberate to change things, to disrupt things, or was it a bit of a lark and a, a bit of a, hey, let's have a bit of fun and see how we can change things? I, I, it was, yeah, it was definitely deliberate. Um, I mean, we were, because we weren't part of a college or a society, we, weren't, we didn't have the same uh, responsibilities and pressures um, from previous iterations and so on and expectations. So we had a complete carte blanche to do what we wanted and uh roger had had plenty of experience organizing events and really knew how to run events well and chris was fantastically well connected and had a really good vision for who would be exciting interesting engaging speakers um like he really came up with some the concept of making a program that's actually going to be interesting and um, thought-provoking and choosing people who can speak and present and um, capture the audience wasn't really something that was thought about before. It was like, you've got to get a big name in a topic. You've got to get someone who's published a paper, someone who's considered a world expert, um, but may not be able to speak about it. Um, that, that that was where he was coming from. And uh, he was uh, brought in a really... Uh, interesting programs along and then and then my perspective was coming at it from a trying to engage I don't know um, using graphic design and the, the soundscape of it and the staging and the performance and the look and feel and making it an event rather than a conference was where I was coming from and there obviously like there were loads of people involved um, it wasn't just the three of us obviously so that that's what the point of difference was I reckon yeah I think it was very deliberate uh, yeah, I think we, um, you know, we we looked at uh, the traditional conference space and and what it offered, but uh, you know, we we deconstructed what was existing and then rebuilt it with the delegate more in view than what I guess our traditional conferences were doing. I think we were too bogged down, as Ali said, in you know what what the uh, you know the the mechanism of the conference had to deliver uh, and the hierarchical sort of nature of a lot of those meetings. You know, I think I've been sitting at a, a meeting in a small country in between Holland and France and uh, noticing, you know, just how the co that conference hadn't changed over my entire career. In fact, I don't think the speakers had changed over that time. That probably included you, Pete, but it was, uh, you know, it was, um, you know, we, we've set about deconstructing it and rebuilding it with the delegate uh, front and centre and, and really looking at that experience, whether it was what Chris was doing in sort of the education, what Ollie was doing in sort of that engagement through various sort of mechanisms and what we were doing in the actual uh, event itself. Well, yes, guilty as charged uh, in that country between Holland and France. So take me inside a, a meeting as you plan the conference. I mean, how did you, because you ran into all sorts of things, right? How to combine the best of steak and sizzle, as Ollie referred to, getting the right speaker, but equally the right topic, somebody with some uh, academic kudos, but not the inability to speak, shall we say, male and female speakers, traditional speakers, non-traditional speakers. I mean, those must have been pretty full-on meetings. 
Yeah, I think from the from the we we were lucky, as Ollie said, to have you know not just the three of us complementing each other, but a but a team of people who were really passionate about you know what we could do in this space. And also, you know, one of the amazing things with social media was this almost constant feedback loop that you yeah. get from the community. So we, it wasn't like just giving some you know post hoc survey to delegates to find out what had happened. You know, we, we got constant feedback about the content, about everything. As you said, Pete, you know, some of it, there was always haters, which which wasn't very helpful, but they were a small percentage. There was a lot of people who loved us but didn't give us constructive feedback. And then there was this small percentage of people, I would say it's like, you know, 5 to 10% of our audience that were really supportive but also gave pretty frank, constructive criticism. And one of the things I, I really you know, the team prided itself on was that we really lent into that criticism, you know, uh, and listened to it and, and, and modified what we were doing accordingly. And it was almost always to the, you know, to the betterment of what we were doing that, that we sort of followed that instinct. So before I give this back to Leon, uh, his second question was, why did it come to an end? Did you guys fly too close to the sun? Was it too time consuming, all consuming? Or uh, had it done what it needed to do and it was time for other stuff? Big question, that. Um, I, to be honest, the world changed, right? Um, and like with, with Smack, we really felt by the time we came back to Sydney, we kind of a- achieved the mission objective with Smack. And um, it was like the final Smack in Sydney was a fantastic event where we managed to kind of line all the ducks up in a row in the way that we um we could only do at that time and uh and just get everything everything kind of worked perfectly basically and it was it was um an amazing conference but we also came to it feeling like we we'd achieved all of those things that we wanted to do right back at the beginning um and uh because it's it was always basically a passion project um then once you've kind of feel like you've d- achieved the, the goals there wasn't really the drive there to keep just reha- we never just wanted to keep rehashing and rehashing and keep um doing the same old hits kind of thing so then that's when the idea of coda was born right rog yeah and I, and that's that's right and i think the other thing was that we saw you know, other people starting to pick up the mantle and things changing. And mm. you know, a great example of that in our world is Rob McSweeney's, you know, critical care reviews. Rob was there with us at the start of Smack and, and yeah. he was really helpful in, uh, you know, his voice and what he brought to our organizing committee. But he was also thinking, you know, how could he bring some elements of that to something that, um, you know, was was different again, and you know, we were really excited, and also I guess proud that n- not only did Rob uh, just invest so much of himself in that meeting, that our charitable trust, because everything we did was through a charitable trust foundation, was actually able to help Rob get up and running and run that meeting. You know, and to this day, it's probably one of the the great things we've done because that mm-hmm. is a truly fantastic event. You know, we, it was just nice to see other events changing you know we had interactions with lots of other events and people were sort of picking little bits of what we were doing and bringing them into their meetings and so that was pretty satisfying yeah like steve matthew who helped us with our program for a couple of the smacks was then involved in the state of the art meeting and really changed the shape of their meeting as well um in london and dramatically 
improved by his presence and uh and that was really um encouraging to see that and see other co- um conferences like take the bits that work for them and adapt it and feel that there was some evolution going on which felt like is what needed to happen in a fairly stagnant area prior to that it didn't even adapt it mostly they just copied it Ollie. that's ripped it off yeah <laughs> did i hear the words plagiarized yeah. <laughs> what do they say it's the uh the best form of flattery yeah. I'll, I'll we'll pass that on to steve and the lawyers i hope he's listening <laughs> You know, obviously, obviously, the the, the Smack conference and then Coda are hugely successful. Um, it sounds like this was always going to be a finite thing. Um, did you guys go into it knowing you're gonna you're gonna put on maybe five to ten years worth of conferences and then and then kind of achieve that dream and get out? Well, not for me. I think I think you know, for us, it's always been about the passion and following. The community, you know, when we, we set up a, a, an, an education and health promotion charity way before we started SMAC, and it was always about providing free open access, inspiring, mm. engaging and informative education. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where it started and that's naturally how SMAC evolved. As time went on and the audience feedback grew, I think a lot of the way our community grew together, there was you know, there was an enormous sort of um, trust within that community. And I think out of that trust came more and more ambition for bigger things. And, you know, surprisingly, constantly the feedback at the conferences were, you know, we enjoy the clinical medicine, but even more, we enjoy a lot of the non-clinical topics. Because as we all know, in our careers, you know, as you get older, you reflect back and the things like driving pressures and stuff on the ventilator, we're not awake at night worrying about those things. It's the bigger issues. It's the professional issues. It's advocacy. It's communication, all of those issues. And as, as that became more and more obvious, the, the feedback just kept sort of, you know, coming back to these sort of uh, domains that people sort of said as healthcare providers, we want to not just talk about clinical medicine. We want to talk about planetary health. We want to talk about equity within healthcare. We want to talk about ethics these these were the sort of core topics um, that were coming up. And, and so we felt that to, to go with that, we had to sort of change direction. We couldn't do that as smack. You know, we had to sort of mm-hmm. deconstruct smack as we'd done with the traditional conference and start again. Um, and that's where Coda came from. Yeah. And of course, Coda launched bang in the middle of the, pan- well, the beginning of the pandemic, really. So um, that was like timing, you know, it's what it is. And it meant that our first iterations of Coda had to happen as virtual events. And so we were feeling our way through how you do virtual events and try and make them engaging and try to bring all of the, the things we'd le- lessons we'd learned from running live events to the virtual platform. But it's a completely different thing because like running a virtual event is basically you're competing with Netflix and YouTube for people's attention and all every everything that's online ever is on the same playing field as uh as uh, your your virtual event as well and it's um it's a completely different world which is got its pros and cons mostly mostly cons <laughs> even, even though i wasn't really able to attend any of these of course i i did partake in a lot of its online content and so on um after the fact and certainly there's 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 a lot of different or differences between you know smack and, and, and traditional conferences and so on everything from the length of talk etc cetera, etc cetera. and i've noticed 
conferences that I that I attend now have adopted a lot of these things, as you guys have mentioned. I just want to bring it back to what Peter said a little bit earlier: steak and sizzle. Um, you know, how how did how do you respond to some of the criticism that I'm sure you guys must have gotten that? You know, like Smack or Coda is, is a big show. There isn't much else. There's no education going on. Um, what, was that an issue, first of all? And, and if so, how, how do you respond to that? Silence by the sound of it. I just was, wasn't sure who was going to unload first on that. Exactly. <laughs> um, as, as Roger said, we lent into criticism. And I think that um, we always tried to adapt each iteration of our events heavily based on what we what feedback we got there was a lot of show to each event and we deliberately did that to try to get people inspired engaged to um, energize them to captivate them at the beginning and to get them sort of in the seats in the first place and, and get get the audience there and then we try to deliver the education and there was always a fairly high amount of academic content to each meeting um but it was mixed in with all this other with all the rest of the show as we evolved into coda we kind of then um separated that out almost even more and we had pre-conference workshops which were specifically geared at different craft groups to try to make sure that if you're into um if you want to do an ultrasound workshop you can do that if you want to have a deep dive into intensive care updates you can have that if you want a neurocritical care day you've got that if you want peds you've got that and so the different people with different interests could get their fill of that and then on the main program itself we try to have content that would be relevant and interesting to everyone which included all the four pillars of, of content that people had voted and expressed interest in, including the planetary health stuff and the ethics and the education and the equity stuff, and um, which was interspersed with clinical topics. So we still have um, clinical topics running right the way through it. So, yeah, I, I think that the haters who um, went on about, like it's all, all about the show and not about the content, were just kind of, I don't know. I, 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 that wasn't true, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we had, um, you know, there, there was a sort of, we, we had shifted the emphasis pretty dramatically. So, you know, there was a stark contrast between what we were doing and what the traditional conference was doing. That, so not surprisingly, some people found that change really difficult. The vast majority of delegates to our conferences, you know, when I say vast majority, about 90% of people came away saying it was almost career changing as a, as an event for them. And, mm -hmm. and so for us as educators, you know, that level of engagement was incredibly rewarding. And I think this is where, to some extent, that the traditional meetings had gone astray and in sort of forgetting that as education and, and bringing people together in meetings was as much about inspiring them to engage in their practice and sending them away feeling revitalized and enthusiastic about going back to work with some information. And you didn't have to smash them over the head with every uh, forest plot and every other bit of statistical information mm -hmm. to prove how much you knew as a speaker, you needed to really inspire them to go and read a few of the key points that you made in that talk. And, and as you alluded to, Leon, you know, we worked out that most people just want 10 to 15 minutes of inspiration. They want just a couple of points, you know, three mm -hmm. messages. 
that have a clear story that knits it together, that they can follow and be engaged in that story. And they take away those three bits of information. And what sits underneath that is vital. You know, if, if you just spout rubbish and there's no, there's, there's no substance that sits beneath that, well, then you deserve to get heckled. But, you know, if you're talking about something, but mm-hmm. you're delivering it in a way as an educator that you're really trying to draw people in, pique their interests and inspire them to go away, look at that and then take that home and apply it, you know, at their bedside, then, you know, I, I think that's what we were doing. And, and mostly we got it right. We certainly jumped a few sharks, as they say in showbiz. So I'll, I'll jump in this point as an attendee, if I may. I, I think you absolutely achieved and, and overachieved. Uh, I, I'm a fanboy and I think you have changed the way that people present henceforth and for the better. I, uh, when I see our fellows now present their first and second grand rounds, it's better than it was when we did it. You know, they have thought about the take-home message. They're prepared to use a picture. They're prepared to use illusions from society and, and bring in the patient perspective. And, and Ollie, I, I always felt you didn't get the credit you deserved. The, the work done on the design in the background that most of us, because we're somewhere on the spectrum, wouldn't even have been aware of, the, the, the work put into the music and, and the colors and this, that, and the other, was fabulous. The talks to me, you know, I, I remember Ian Beardsill just having me transfixed because he talked about humility and he talked about the sort of journey of what it feels like to be a doctor making difficult decisions. There were other presentations when I thought, uh oh, this doesn't really work. This is just somebody's looked up how to do a TED talk and then tried to chuck their information into it. Uh, there were fig jammers for sure, to use an Australian expression. Uh, and there were you know, people who couldn't get past the usual way of doing things. But I, I think it was a profound, profound legacy, which brings us to where do we go from here? What does the post-COVID conference look like? What would you attend and what should other people want to attend? I, I mean, I think the, the format that we had arrived at, the CODA event we held in Sydney last year was, to me, a, a pretty elegant design, which was two days of pre-conference workshops with, a, with almost everybody who was attending the conference attending workshops with a smorgasbord of, you know, CPD opportunities from, as Ollie said, updates in, in anything which was all focused on data through to, you know, practical sessions, communication sessions, so that people could really feel like whatever they, were, they needed to have in their CPD, they could get that ticked off and, and, you know, justify then spending the next two days focusing on the stuff that we don't do very well still at traditional medical conferences and talk about the really hard stuff. You know, we talk about hard science and soft skills. If you want to make my blood boil, just use that statement because as we all know, you know, the much harder science is the soft skills. And, um, and so talking about communication, talking about ethics, talking about, um, you know, equity, all these things that really challenges us, challenge us as clinicians now, uh, are really, really important. So I would continue in that format. I think COVID taught us that, you know, there was a way that we could do some of these things virtually, but equally so they taught many of us that, uh, you know, we missed a tremendous amount by not being together in person. So somehow I think the next challenge is working out how do we uh, design our events 
you know, going forward. And importantly, what something we haven't touched upon, but our CODA event in Sydney was probably the first sort of mainstream medical conference. I know the International Federation of Medical Students ran a carbon neutral medical conference. Um, I think it was in Quebec in your part of the world. But we, you know, CODA in Melbourne was a carbon neutral uh, event certified by Climate Active, which is the Australian Government Climate Authority. Um, and that was bloody hard to do. It was expensive. It was difficult. We put a lot of effort into it. But it is also something that probably needs to shape the way events look going forward. I'm sure Ollie will have something to say about that. Yeah, we were really proud of doing it carbon neutral, but it was hard. And it kind of only fully worked as well because we didn't have a lot of internationals because it was so expensive to come to Australia last year. Um, keeping it carbon neutral um, without having internationals is, I think, you know, you have, you, you, if you have lots of internationals, that blows it out. So I, I think you lose a lot if you make it virtual. And I don't know if you've been to many virtual conferences, but I find that I can't just sit in my room and watch hours and hours and hours of virtual events. Um, I, I get distracted and not engaged. Um, so, And I think that meeting people and the networking opportunities and the connections and the difference of the live event atmosphere um, helps with the learning process as well, I think. So I, I think that live events still have a massive value. I, I personally see that the future is having um, more regional um, high quality live events. So you don't have to fly internationally to, to get that, to get the experience. Um, and hopefully they, you know, the sort of lessons that we learned from our experiences could translate to smaller regional events which mean people don't have to fly internationally to to have those experiences you know when i listen to some of the talks and so on uh, online smack or coda it's very clear that you guys had very specific standards in mind when selecting speakers and um, expectations from speakers and so on um, so can i can i ask what you know two or three good hallmarks for a good medical talk We've got we've got commandments that we would send to our speakers, don't we, Ollie? Yeah, the the code of commandments was the latest iteration, but yeah, I think it's got to be a heartfelt talk, and it's got to be something about something that's you know really that the the speaker's really passionate about, because um, that always comes across. Speak stories work mm -hmm. well because people have always related to stories and will always relate to stories and hang information around stories. So if there can be a, a story that delivers the message and then not overstuffing content, but still having content that's important to take away. So you, you do need practice changing um, content that's going to be delivered and that's going to be right at the scaffolding of it. Um, and then, but not too much of it and delivered at a pace in a way that people will take away. And if it can, be delivered with humor and um, humility and um, pathos and all of the mm -hmm. things that engage people in theaters all around the world, those tactics work in any format and can work in medical talks. Yeah, but not everyone can do that. I mean, you can train to do it, but like with TED or whatever, when they get speakers, they the speakers have to submit their talks six months out and then they get coached um from practicing it thousands of times well hundreds of times at least before they deliver it and have lots of coaching to improve it and working on all of the stage art that's involved in delivering a good talk that's difficult to do for medical conferences we tried and we had 
like mentorship programs and people like Vic Brazel who were incredible orators naturally and had worked on that art already we had them coaching other speakers who were less um, practiced in that and trying to get them on that pathway and get the best out of them so that sort of um, mentorship program really helped as well I think it takes passion from the organizing committee to make it happen as well I reckon I think probably the the speaker you know you they have to recognize at the outset that you know they're they're a teacher and so you know I guess the opportunity that they're being given is the opportunity to share something that's really important a message that they feel is really vital that is conveyed you know it's about how do I convey this vital message to the audience that it sticks with them and it piques their interest as we talked about earlier to go and look deeper at that topic and and arm them with some information and, and provide some you know some of that information that's dry and maybe detracts from the message at the outset is just attached to the presentation as as you know bibliography and show notes and this is where you start but the whole idea is you're drawing them in to this topic and and building it and most importantly it's not about you as a speaker it's about them they're the pupils you're there to serve them they're not there to lay you know flowers at your feet um and, and you know it's that sort of mindset that i think is really important Guys, I think we've peppered the last 30 minutes with a whole load of fantastic take-home points. You, you did give the voice to a lot of people through Coda and, and new messages and fresh messages came out of it. I, I think it's an incredible legacy. One of our things that we haven't mentioned is that non-traditional people got to speak to nurses, social workers, paramedics, patients, <clears throat> people from low and middle income countries. And I hope that's not something that we regress on now that it's post-Coda and it's tough and expensive to fly places. As somebody who got a chance to meet you godfathers or Ozfathers, I guess, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, it was a real pleasure to be involved. Um, we're going to actually highlight one or two conferences that we think have got that right stake and sizzle message going forward, not, not things that have been promoted or that we benefit from, but, but people that we think who are out there trying to push the boulder a little bit further. I just want to say thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, bravo. Well done, Australia. Thank you, Pete. And thanks for being one of those great speakers. I think like any of the audience who haven't seen your talks from Smack should go and check them out because they were real highlights. And so thank you for being part of the journey. You read the card I sent you uh, word for word there, <laughs> Ollie. That was very kind of you. Uh, thank, thanks very much, guys. Really great to talk to you. Lovely uh, catching up, Leon. And um yeah, hopefully we'll either see you guys somewhere in the near future. Yeah, and great work with the podcast. It's um, it's awesome, so keep it up. Ooh, did you hear that, Leon? There we go. Let's take that endorsement. Yeah, no, Over yeah, and out. Yeah, Thank yeah. you very much. I'm really sad that I could never make any of these conferences, so I don't know. Hopefully there's a Coda <laughs> 2.0 at some point. But <laughs> Well, I don't, think we're, I don't think we're recording anymore, but some of the interesting objects...